1890, Congress passed something called the Second Moreau Act that provided for annual appropriations to each state to support its land-grant college. Part of the reason this act in 1890 was so important was because it also forbade racial discrimination in admissions policies for colleges receiving these funds. One of these types of colleges is Alcorn University, tucked away in southwestern Mississippi. You may have never heard of this tiny little school, but I promise you that you've heard of their biggest football star. And this week's guest was the man that scouted him and had to be convinced he could make the jump to the professional ranks. Oh yeah, that guy's name was Steve McNair. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off the DeLorean, the year is 1871, and we are in Claiborne County in Mississippi. And you might be asking yourself, why are we in Claiborne County in 1871? What we got going on here? I don't think the NFL started in 1920. But the reason we're here is because this is the year that Alcorn University was founded. That might not mean much to you. Alcorn University, like, what? Okay. But it will mean a little bit more to you, and you'll understand when we finish off the three-part interview with Chris Landry in this episode. And I'm going to go ahead and leave that as a teaser for you, even though I kind of covered it a little bit in the intro. But nonetheless, again, this is the third part of the Chris Landry experience. And if you haven't listened to part one or two, uh, then I think you should go ahead and mash that pause button because you got to go back and listen to those two first. But if you have, then this is just a little bit of a reminder about our guest, Chris Landry. He has spent a lifetime in football, serving as a coach, scout, and administrator at both the college and NFL levels. He was also selected as a coordinator of the NFL Scouting Combine in 1993. And then... And fortunately, he had to leave the game. I mean, he had some sick family members to help out. NFL teams, they're all like, hey, we need your help. So they kept contacting him near trying to get him to work for them. So now he runs his own company called Landry Operations. Well, Landry Football Operations and LandryFootball.com as well. I'm going to go ahead and leave links to both of these sites. Also, his podcast on the dedicated page for Chris on my website, which you can get to by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com slash Chris Landry. Again, that's the footballhistorydude.com slash Chris Landry. Also, while you're at it, (laughs) I ask that you please subscribe for free to this show by mashing that little subscribe button in your podcast player choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes well each and every week. And now that you know you have to make sure you go to the website for more info, let's get right back into the interview and finish off the Chris Landry experience. Earlier, you mentioned how when you're scouting a player, you're you're basically grading them against the standard. Uh, how how hard is it to grade against the standard when it's a small school versus a big school? It 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 it's tougher. What you want to see is a guy at a smaller school dominate. Look, I always say, you know, if you're going to a smaller school, and I don't care what position he's playing. If I got to find out, you got to tell me who he is. Where If he doesn't jump out on me quickly, then, then there's a problem. Because it, it should be, yeah, you know, don't tell me his number. Don't tell, 
it's him right there. I see him right there. <laughs> he jumps out at you, sticks out. <laughs> right, like a short yeah. So, you know, um, I think it's really important to dominate. But here's the other thing. Did he have the measurable? So, you know, there's a kid out of St. John's College in offensive tackle this year. He's at the Senior Bowl. He's invited. Division three school in Minnesota. Um, they have rarely had prospects. They've had a really good program there for years and years. Coach Joe Girardi passed away, but he won more games in college football at any level than anybody. Um but this kid's 6'6", he's 315, and he can move, okay? He's worthy of looking at. I mean, you know, he's not just some slob. Uh, he's just kind of a late bloomer. His body developed a lot later. Nobody recruited him because he wasn't worth recruiting, and all of a sudden he's grown, he's developed. Uh, he dominates and plays well. Is he, you know, a great technician at this point? No, but you see the natural skills. Um, so it's harder, but when a guy stands out, and he should stand out, uh, I don't think you should ever uh, give up on the fact that, hey, you know, always say grade the player, not the helmet. Because if you just think uh, he's, you know, a guy, small school, he's not going to make it, uh, I think you can make a mistake. Do your work on him. Now, I will say this. I think when it comes to the East-West and um, the Senior Bowl, I think that the week of practice for those guys at smaller schools are more important than any others because – they're going up against players that are some of the best in the country. So if you're playing at Alabama, you're already playing against some of the best week in and week out. If you go to St. John's College in Minnesota, you're not doing that week in and week out. But you're doing it, and if you can block some guys at the Senior Bowl, that'll show up. I'm not saying every time. I'm not saying you're not going to whiff. But if, if you're overwhelmed and can't compete, you're going to have a hard time Whereas if you have a bad week at the Senior Bowl and you play at Alabama, you've got enough, enough tape against good competition to say, wasn't a real good week, but look what he's done to the entire career. Whereas if you're at a smaller school, if you don't stand out, the Senior Bowl, the East-West, you're going to have a harder time. Because, yeah, you might have dominated at St. John's in Division three level, but what does it mean here? So it, it it's important, and you are grading to a standard, but the way you do it is you don't grade the production. You grade what generates the production. So if you've got overwhelming size, speed advantage, um, you may dominate at the Division three level. But do you have the other things? Does he compete? Does he fight? Does he finish? Because if you're just one of these guys that just can fall out of bed and be a decent player because you're 75 pounds heavier and that much more athletic, you don't have to be good sometimes to win on a given play and dominate on a certain play. But when you now go up against the next level and when you make that jump from a real small college level to the NFL, that's, that's like three jumps. But when you do that, you can't get by on physical ability or size anymore because everybody else is just as big, strong, or faster, if not better. So then – that's where you got to do your work. If a guy has those abilities and traits and he's got all those intangibles I just went over, a personal character, football character, he has all those things, got a nasty finish and love foot, then why not? Why can't they translate? They can. And I think you've got to, again, you're grading to a standard because you're grading to a certain characteristic, certain size, speed, framework intangibles, tangibles, all those things are grading to that standard. 
And I, you think you need to look at it and look a little bit more closely and step back if you're at a small school versus a big school. But it absolutely could be done, and it's done all the time. Not in numbers, but it can be done. So uh, just a specific example then of I believe they both went to Central Michigan. Uh, Antonio Brown versus, say, Corey Davis. Mm-hmm. How, how does how did one's obviously had a great career? One we're still kind of wondering what's going on. Are there too many working parts to really be able to judge if Corey Davis is a bust at this point? Well, I think obviously when you look at whether a guy's been healthy enough and certainly been utilized, I think Corey's a good player. Antonio Brown is a different situation because you know, obviously some off the field and some maturity issues, maybe some, I don't know. I, I, I'm not an expert on this, but emotional health, mental health. Um, I, I, you know, that that's, that's beyond me on that part of it, but there are obviously some details that have limited him because he looked as good as any receiver in the league when he's had his head straight and he's played well. Uh, there's nothing, and I don't consider the Mac small school. I think where the big jumps are is when you're talking about division two and division three kids that really come out of nowhere that, you know, you've got a tight end out of Dayton. That's a really good player that, you know, uh, that's, that's a little, the max schools, they'll end up playing two or three big 10 teams a year and they'll play in a bowl game and, and the max actually good football in its own right. So I, I don't think there's much of that. I don't look at any of the any of the the FBS or the FCS levels. I, I think are you know anything in the in the in the bowl subdivision is pretty good. And even in what I would call the upper level FCS, like if you're at North Dakota State, you know program like Eastern Washington programs like that certainly are the equal of you know the Kansases of the world and the Rutgers of the world. Those. I, I don't consider that small. It's really more what I call different level where sometimes it's even non-scholarship and you get that type of guy because that's where the level of competition can get really bad. Uh, but, you know, if you think about it, look at all the schools at the FCS level, not in, in not, not to mention uh, the Mountain West or the MAC. Look at how many good schools and good quality of competition they play against. You can really get a good feel for what those guys are. So what about guys going back to your your website again? Uh, you mentioned Bo Jackson, how he had a hand time to 4.12, but you had 4.19. I mean, how fast really was this guy? Oh, you know, really fast. And again, you know, when you think about times, you know, 4.1, 4.9, that's, that's less than a blink of an eye. Um there's people say electronic times. We use electronic times, but remember that uh, the electronic still has to be started handheld at the start. So you always feel good about whether you got the guy in time. And and look, I, whether a guy ran four one or four three doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. What matters is is he fast enough to play that position? If you've got a receiver. And, and people say, well, why do you time a guy? I mean, he, he plays fast on the field. Let me explain something. If you've got a receiver that runs 4.75 in the 40, he might play in college up against a corner that runs 4.8. That 
that receiver that won four seven five going up against that four eight defensive back will look like he can fly. Man, he's fast. It'll against he's he's going. He is. That's why we time him. If a guy runs four seven five and he's a receiver, he won't get open. He can't play. It's going to be like Peter Warwick, who came out of Florida State years ago. It's a great college player. A great college player. An All-American for Bobby Bowden, Florida State, their heyday. Very high in the first round by the Bengals. Couldn't separate, couldn't get open. Not enough speed. Doesn't matter how productive he was in college. It didn't translate because he couldn't get open. But it didn't, you know, it doesn't, if, if you, if you can't run fast enough, you can't, if, if you can run fast enough, it doesn't matter if you run four, four or four, five, both are fast enough. Okay. It's just, do you reach a certain metric or not? So, you know, a guy can be four, two, obviously somebody that's four, two is rare, ridiculously fast. A Chris Johnson type guy. I mean, just. Crazy fast. Judy this year is probably going to run high four threes, maybe even get in four two nine, four three one, four three four this year. He's fast enough. Okay, it, it doesn't really matter if he runs four four two. It'll it'll tick him off if because the, the guys are competitive. But as long as they're fast enough to meet the standard of what you're looking for at that position, it's fine. It's when you don't, you know, you're just are not. You can find receivers that run. Four two, four three, four four, and four five, and it won't matter to much of a degree. They all are fast enough to play if they have the other attributes. If you got a guy that runs four seven two, four seven five at receiver, you don't have any one of those. There's not don't have one of those guys that play in the league at that position, and they won't make it regardless how good their numbers are in college or what they can do because they won't be able to get open. And separate. So the 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 timing and the measurables and the three cone, the short shuttle, all those things are important, but only to determine a metric. It does not determine how good a football player is. It determines his athletic traits. His athletic traits are an, are an important part of being a football player, but it's not everything. The tape tells you how productive they are. But the tape doesn't tell you how fast they are because how fast or how quick or how strong they are on tape is going to be relative to who they're doing it against. But we're not grading them and giving them award based upon what they did in college. You're grading them on how they're going to project to the next level and how they're going to line up against an NFL player. And that's why we use standards of height, weight, speed, quickness, agilities, all the hand size, all arm length, all those things translate over time to say not definitely whether this guy can make it or not make it. But as a general rule, again, percentages, this is what works and this is what doesn't. And if the guy falls out of that range, you better be darn sure he has the other qualities to make up for it. Because if you try to make a living on making exceptions, you're going to have a team full of exceptions. And you know what that looks like? A team that's too slow, team that's too small, team that's not quick enough, team that's not smart enough. 
you know, you're just not very good. So it is about combining all of that. The workouts and the measurables are important. They tell you some things and you need to pay attention to it, but it's like a puzzle. It's one piece of the puzzle. It's not the most important piece. It's certainly not the only piece, but if you don't have it, the puzzle is missing a piece. And so you've got to put all of it together. And that's why the workouts are really important, but they need to be interpreted correctly. And if they're not, you're going to have trouble. And speaking of one guy that workouts impressive off the charts and everything, and you've mentioned, of course, how it has to fit the scheme or it has to fit the mentality of the team. A guy, I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so this is going to be a fanboy out moment for me, but sure. So Megatron, would, would there have been any argument against, regardless of scheme, could you have even tried to argue that there should be a different receiver drafted higher than him that no, year? No, he was one of those guys that regardless who the team is, who you got, he fits every scheme. To, I mean, he's, he knows everything. He's, he's as good a receiver as I've seen. And, um, certainly with the size and speed difference maker was, uh, he may have, and I'm thinking he was the highest graded receiver I've ever given, um, uh, up to that point when he came out, he's just phenomenal. I mean, how often does that really happen? Are we talking once a year? There's a player like oh, that, or oh, there, there. I think every year there's a few guys that you know could play for any team. Um, now, again, I mean, if you happen to be loaded at one position, you know, maybe some guy means a little bit more to one team than the other. But there, I mean, Chase Young can play for anybody, you know. Um, uh, the corner from Ohio State, uh, uh, Oduka, is, can play. Isaiah Simmons can play. Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw. I mean, you know, there's a couple receivers, you know, Judy and, and C.D. Lamb. And th- there are a number of players in every draft that can play for anybody. But again, um, there may not be on some of them outside of maybe, I, I would say it depends on the year, but I would say there are six or eight players every year as a rule that kind of fit that category that everybody would like They're they're scheme diverse. They can fit anything you want. Um, and, and, and a lot of people will like them, but, but in some cases, you know, a lot of players fit the category of really good. You'd, everyone would like to have them, but they might prioritize, you know, players, ABC in that order. Whereas the next team might prioritize it. CBA. Uh, and the third one might say BAC, you know, and so, you know, there's a little, but I, but I think the elite ones, they're really good. It's just like, I think Joe Burrow could play and be very effective, but obviously if you have your quarterback, it doesn't factor in, um, that's a little bit different because quarterbacks are, di- they're tougher to find. And then you normally, once you have one, you can only afford to pay one, um, unless you bring in a young guy behind a veteran. Uh, but there usually are a half a dozen players, I'll say, each and every draft that kind of fit the category of they can play any any place, anywhere, any time, you know, any um, play for any team. Uh, and that's give or take a couple. You know, some years you may have a little more, some a little less. So then how does that translate into as they're veterans, the four years, five years out, and then we turn into free agency and teams trying to determine if they're going to pick a player up or not. Well, 
if I understand you correctly, if if you've got a guy, um, first of all, if if you draft a guy in the first round, you got a fifth year option on him. So, uh, are you asking uh, how do you determine whether you want to keep a guy? Let's say after a couple of years in the league, whether you want to re-sign him or let him go. Is that what you're asking? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, let's go that route because of the money that will then potentially gotcha. be increased to it. When, when do you determine gotcha. if you're going to pick a, keep a guy or let him go? It's a, it's a great question. In fact, I was talking about it on one of my podcasts today about the quarterbacks in that situation. And here's my rule of thumb. Um, if you're like a guy and, and it's, it's, everything is a projection college guys going into the NFL. Well, you all of a sudden got a young quarterback or young, whatever, whatever position he's playing a couple of years in the league. Uh, you really like him. Sure, there's a risk to go ahead and get him a long-term deal. You don't know if he's going to regress, have injuries, but you're always better off, depending on the position now. I mean, if you're a running back and he's a good back, but he's replaceable down the road, you, you maybe are not as in tune to do this. But if you've got a young quarterback that you like, and we're seeing this right now, Dallas with Dak Prescott, for example, and again, it takes two sides to make a deal, but they probably two years ago should have re-signed them. Why? Because the cost of doing business at certain positions like quarterback is you're going to pay a guy not for how good he is, but for what other options do you have? What's your alternative? So you're better off signing them earlier. If you think they've got any chance of being really good, sign them. Sign them two years before their contract's up. You have them under contract. If they don't pan out, so what? You move on. You have time to replace them, and you're not completely gutted by, you know, A, you're going to have to lose them, or you're going to pay so much out of whack that it's a, it, it's going to be very cost prohibitive, cap prohibitive to build a team around them. So I think you jump on it as early and just like you evaluating the jump from college to the NFL, when you see that a guy has it and he's special, get the deal done. I mean, and I know you can't just do the deal. They got to be willing to do the deal. If I'm Kansas City, I'm working my rear end off to get Patrick Mahomes' deal done because the longer you wait, the more the contract's going to go up. Of course, there's a possibility, God forbid, something tragic could happen to where the player's not there anymore or he can't do it anymore. But keep in mind that the capital outlay for losing a guy if something bad happens is far, far, far less than the cost is going to be much more when you wait when he becomes a free agent and now you got an issue. So like in the case of Dallas, they're going to have to pay Dak probably – as much as any quarterback in the league in that range. And even though he's not the best quarterback in the league, he may not be in the top five. He's going to get paid like it. And the reason is what other option do the Cowboys have? Who else will they get to play quarterback right now? So what they're paying is not for how good he is, but for what the other options are or lack thereof. So that's where I think you really need to jump on a player early. Now, again, other positions are not the same. They're more fungible. So you may not jump on a running back that's the most volatile position in the league. Um, you know, but I would certainly lock up 
a premier defensive tackle, a defensive end that's a great pass rusher, a great left tackle. I'd absolutely lock those guys up. Um, you know, maybe a receiver and a running back, uh, a safety. I mean, maybe I hold a linebacker. I hold off on it, it, it because, you know, maybe at that point, if I like them and I can get them on a good cap friendly deal, I do the deal. But if it's a little bit too rich for my blood, you know what? I'll just, you know, I like him, but I don't love him. I'll date him for four years, and then I'll find another one to draft and develop. That's the strategy that you have to play, and it really comes into a few things. What's the most difficult positions to find and replace in, in general? And then what's the priority for us as a team? And so I think if you focus on that, that'll take you to when you want to get deals done uh, and then you you, you got to get them done. I mean, you know, it's tough, but if a player just doesn't want to do a deal and he bets on himself, well, then, you know, you can't put a gun. You can't bring a gun to the negotiating table. <laughs> you know, you can't make them sign. You can only offer them a good deal. But if you do a good job, you can dangle that. And, oh, yeah, you can wait two more years and you might get more money. But if you get injured, you're going to. You know, if you're trying to do a deal with Patrick Mahomes right now, if he went to free agency and he played it all the way out, he would absolutely break the bank. But does he want to wait another two years, three years, and make basically a rookie contract money, which is like a fraction of what he could make? Or is he willing to take a big time deal that's probably going to be worth $45 million a year? perhaps and do that now oh he might be able to get more he would be able to get more than that if he continues to play that well for three more years but look at the money he's leaving on the table for the next three years get the deal done get your 35 40 million a year whatever it's going to be and then you you deal with it then so you've got some leverage and if you do a good job and and and, and it, look at good evaluations not just about drafting players, but it's about knowing what players on your team you want to keep long-term and which ones you're willing to move on from and recognizing in the league that, you know what, I like this guy, but you know what, other people are going to love him. And you got to know what the value is of a player. If you think the guy's worth five, I'm just using a number here, and somebody's willing to pay him six and a half, you got to be willing to say, no. He's worth five because if you start paying the guy that's worth five, six, then what do you pay the guy that's worth six? Well, seven. And all of a sudden, what you have is an average team or less, and you got cow problems. You got to know the value of the player, and you got to put your resources in the proper way. I mean, it, it's no different than doing a budget at home. Yeah. I mean, we could probably go on and on again about free agency and all the other things that you can provide to the fans of the show. I think we're going to leave the remainder of the free agency questions I have for another episode. I have to bring you back on. Uh, speaking of the fans of the show, one of the best fans that we have is Jeremy McFarlane out of the Nashville area. He's a big Tennessee Titans fan. And one of the questions that he wanted me to make sure I asked you was when you scouted Steve McNair and Eddie George, what stood out the most about these two greats for you? Well, for um, Eddie George was his toughness, 
his ability to be a load bearer for the run game. We were going to build an offense around the running game in a one-back set, and we needed a back that could pound you, could be a good inside runner, and could get stronger as the game went along. So definitely for him, it was his toughness uh, as a runner. Um, It was durability as a runner. For Steve McNair, no question it was leadership and toughness, uh, mental and physical toughness. Um, I had It took me a while to get sold on Steve. I took several visits to Alcorn State. Yeah, he threw for a bunch of yards, but he never played under center. It took a, a, a full week of our first minicamp practice for him to learn how to properly execute the quarterback center exchange. His whole offense at Alcorn State was shotgun, four wides. The pass rush came from the left. He rolled to the right and threw it. Pass rush came from the from the right. He rolled to the left and threw it. He, he had no concept of what to do, not because he couldn't learn or anything. He just – it was a very simplistic offense. So we had to have a plan, that, and, and I knew that he would work, and I knew that he would be tough, and he'd be a leader. Uh, the guy played with broken – vertebras in his back, broken ribs. He was a a mass unit in the training room all week. It, you, There were weeks where there would be zero chance of him playing by Wednesday, by Thursday. No way. And on Sunday, he's suiting up. That was worth his weight in gold to his teammates. His teammates knew he would be there. He would get done what needed to get done. He was a functional passer. When I drafted him, was involved in drafting him, I knew he wasn't ever going to be a Hall of Famer, but I knew he'd be a good quarterback, at times great. I knew he'd be a leader. I knew he could be effective running in the red zone in short yardage that you'd have to factor in, and I knew he could avoid plays with strength, and he could throw the football well enough to where he could be successful and functional so those are the two things that jumped out at me uh, the most with both of those guys. Going back a little bit further than that, one of the questions that I ask every guest of the show is if I gave you the keys to my DeLorean and you could go back any point in time in history. Now, this is one caveat, two caveats. You cannot change the outcome and it has to be before your timeline in, in the NFL and even maybe before you were born. Let's go with that. What moment in time are you going to? I mean, uh, now I'm, I'm not looking for you. drafting a player, or 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 I'm, I'm uh, uh, if I could change time on what I'm not sure, not sure I understand the parameters of what what you're asking. I like how you're able to ask more parameters for it because there are a lot of different variables that okay. we could take into it. Let's go with this. Okay, if you could go back to any game and scout a game from a long time ago. Just because of the pure enjoyment of being a scout, what game would it be? Boy, I've been to some really good ones. Um, I'd like to go back and relive some of them because they were so good. Uh, the 83 Miami-Nebraska game, um, which is the first Miami, the upset win, Coles are in that group. Gosh, it's been so many games um, that were just great, fun games. Um for me, what I would want to go back and do would be to, I don't know, with the, with the, you know, maybe have a chance 
to have some do-overs on a player. For example, I wanted to draft Curtis Martin. I didn't, or I delayed it around because Curtis was always injured at Pitt. And I just was worried about durability with them. And he went in the league and he's never injured, but he was always injured at Pitt. And because of that, I, you know, I waited around too long and then he was gone. So that, um, that was something that, that bothered me, um, and, and kind of haunts me to the day. Um, then there are other, you know, situations that, you know, I thought, um, you know, whether it's trades or, I mean, I, I desperately wanted to draft Ray Lewis, couldn't get up to move him. Uh, to, to get up to get in a position to draft them. Um, you know, things like that. I go back draft time and say, if only I could have done this, if only we could have been able to maneuver this or that. But it's always with the benefit of hindsight, right? I mean, you know, you, you never know and you take chances. I'll give you an example of how things play out. You know, you mentioned the question uh, that we got from one of our uh, listeners with – um uh, Eddie George, the the story on that was no one really had a good feel for what we were thinking. In fact, most people that thought we were going to take a running back, anybody never told anybody anything, but we kind of let it out that we like Tim Bianca Batuka of Michigan and, you know, Lawrence Phillips. But the reality is the guy, only guy we really liked was Eddie George. But by kind of having a little bit of a smoke screen, we were able to, we were picking ninth. We moved down all the way to 16. And we got the Raiders to move up with us. And we got a fourth round pick for doing so. And in the fourth round, we took John Runyon, who was a really good tackle, an all pro tackle for us. And they ended up going to play with the Eagles. So we ended up by moving down. We still got John Runyon. I mean, excuse me, we still got Eddie George, but we had John Runyon. So, you know, it's things like that that I look back that I'm really pleased with. But most of the time, it's I wish we could have done this. I wish we could have done that. I wish we could have been in a position to draft this guy. Um, the year we took Steve McNair, I wanted him. I liked him, but I sure would have liked to have had Tony Bozzelli and Warren Sapp. But you can't <laughs> – you're going to get one of them. It's not recruiting. You can only get one. So my biggest thing is you look at a lot of these guys – you want them, but you go into every draft and you realize you're only going to get a handful of those guys and many of them that you like, or you're going to be playing against and there's nothing you can do about it. That's just the, the way it is. You, most of the players are you're not going to get. Yeah. And you mentioned 2020, this is the year of 2020 and hindsight is 2020, but you've had such a long career, whether it be in the, we'll call it the NFL sector or the private sector now with Landry football. Uh, what's the mission of Landry football? Well, Landry football, Landry football operations, that mission um, is to help college programs and NFL teams on coaching and scouting matters to help their situations. Landryfootball.com is for the fans. It's to, I, I think, educate and make more enjoyable the game of football. Uh, to provide inside information that maybe you can't get other places. As I always say, 90% of the information I come across, I really can't share because it would be, you know, 
personal information or professional information that's uncovered through personal background and, and with people. But the 10% that you can share, it's it's unique and we can provide a lot of that. And the, the information age, we think that's really useful. But it's probably more than that is the evaluations, valuation of recruits. Uh, the college players, college coaches, NFL players, NFL coaches, the NFL draft um, were one-stop shopping football. And as we like to say, if it involves players, teams, coaches, schemes at the college or NFL level, we got it covered for you at LandryFootball.com. And it's like having a um, scouting department or a coaching department at your disposal for less than a magazine subscription. And that's what we provide for you. Uh, an insight, take you inside the film room, have you understand and see the game as a scout, as a coach, have a better understanding of the whys. I think we live in a world now of fantasy football and fans can learn a little bit more about how they evaluate themselves as opposed to being told, who should I take this and that? Well, I think we help you understand what it is you should be looking for so that you can make that decision better than you are. Because if you're following your fantasy football rules, then you should best be you should be the best one to understand what to look for and how to look for it so that you can make the decision that's best for your team. If you just want to learn more about football and enjoy the game better and understanding how decisions are made. How do you deal with free agency? How do you negotiate a contract? How do you set up a draft board? How do you run a draft pick? How do you make a scouting call out of school? How do you coach a certain position? How, you know, all these things we take inside the film room, inside the boardroom, and explain it to you so that you have a better understanding. How do I conduct a coaching search? How do I evaluate coaches? All of those things, I think, can provide a bit of an insight uh, that is above and beyond, uh, do you like the Cowboys or your Giants this week, and uh, do you lay the points? I mean, that that is, to me, is not what's important. The important is to help you understand the process uh, that, that can maybe give you a better feel for how to understand some of the minutia that it is that the everyday fan likes. Yeah, and I will provide links in the show notes for everybody to be able to get to LandryFootball.com that can check out all of your products you offer as well as your podcast and your social media handles. Is there anything else or anywhere else you'd like the fans of the show to check out? Well, you can check out uh, – I'm glad you mentioned the podcast. We, um, You can catch that on LandryFootball.com, and you can sign up wherever you sign up for your podcast. If you go to Landry Landry Football's conference calls, and sign up, you'll get a number of different podcasts. You'll get an NFL podcast Monday, Wednesday, and Friday all year round. Uh, and then you'll get a college podcast Monday through Friday in which we cover college football on a national stage at the beginning and then cover a particular conference in depth in the second segment of the show. So like we have SEC Mondays, ACC Tuesdays, Big Ten Wednesdays, um, Big 12 Thursdays and Pac-12 Fridays. We also cover the group of five schools, smaller college schools within the regions. And we also cover, you know, at the top, anything that's going on nationally. So if it's a Pac-12 day, but something's going on in the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the ACC or SEC, we got that covered. Then we go into what happened over the past week, recruiting, coaching moves, you know, uh, draft prospects, anything we do that. And then Monday, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, uh, there's so much information, particularly this time of year, 
on free agent news and nuggets and discussions and tidbits that we're picking up. So you can catch all of those podcasts. You can get them on LandryFootball.com, but you can sign up for it by going to Landry Football's conference calls. And that's for free. You can get that. Um, you don't have to be a member of LandryFootball.com for that. Uh, but the LandryFootball.com package is, uh, you know, we've got a scouting season sale right now that's 50% off. So it's, it's, it's less than $5 a month and it gets you, for an entire year, it gets you everything during the free agency period, the draft period, all the way through next football season. So it, it covers a lot for a long period, and it gives you a lot more depth than obviously they could, we can get to on the podcast. So it's even more and more deeper information that will help you understand and appreciate and enjoy the game better. For sure. And like I said, I'll include links to everything on the show notes. And before we cut out of here, is there any last words of wisdom or advice you have for the fans of the show? Well, I, I would say this, um, you know, for fans in this day and age, which I, I, I love them and I think the interest is great. Don't necessarily go with the wave of the talking heads to where you hear Boy, this play called in this game sucked, or this, that. Get a better appreciation of why things are being done and understand that, you know, you can affix blame on a coach or a front office that may be accurate, but why they made the mistake is the key. You know, knowing that, I mean, if you somebody gets fired after a few years because their record's not good, what's well, pretty obvious they haven't done a good job. Anyone knows that. Do you know why they didn't do a good job? Where did things go wrong? And how do you correct it? You've, that's the real key to being successful is identifying why people are successful, why people are not successful. And I think if you kind of embrace, maybe you don't have time and get it with family and everything to, out there to, to get into all the minutiae. But if you learn a little bit more about why decisions are made, then you can get a better feeling for why certain people do it well and certain people don't do it well. So I think that's my challenge is be a better fan, learn more and don't just, Hey, you know, I've talked to 50 people and they all think this, well, that's cause you know, they heard one or two people say it, it gets repeated. And before you know it, if a hundred people say it, it must be true. Well, it's really not. It's just, there's very few, very few original thoughts make sure that you're out there looking at the game. And maybe if you don't have time to study, at least look at certain things that are going to help you become a more knowledgeable fan and get better understanding of why things are done and then why they work and why they don't work. I know like you're a lions fan. There's a long history. We don't have enough time to get into it of, of <laughs> mistakes that they've made, but you know, it's not just, well, they stink. There's this, that, yeah, there are reasons why, and part of it is just the changeover and the lack of continuity. But, you know, why haven't they had? That's the first step to correcting it is identifying it. And oftentimes people don't do it. As I like to use different analogies, if your car is having trouble starting or it's stalling, you know there's a problem. But do you know what the problem is? If you're like me, you open up the hood. It could be any one of 100 things, and I don't know one thing from the other. Well, a mechanic is going to be able to eliminate certain things and get to the problem. You know, if it's me, I mean, I may change something that's perfectly working and forget the thing that's causing the problem because I don't know. That's what how I would equate to football, to coaching, to personnel, 
very often owners, front office people don't understand what the problem is. They make change to appease the media and the fans because, hey, we're doing something. We're trying, right? Well, you don't get credit for trying. You get credit for winning or you get the blame for losing. And you've got to know how to identify the problem before you can fix it. Well, Chris, thanks for the uh, strong advice for us and humbling advice as fans. Um, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Thank you for joining the Football History Dude podcast. We'll have to make sure we get you back on the show. Hey, appreciate having me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I think certainly the history of the game and studying it uh, is really important to understand the game. And you do a great job. So I I really applaud you for that and uh, hope you continue to work at it. And, and I know you're doing a good service to a lot of fans out there. Well, there you go. The Chris Landry experience. I, I think he shared an extremely large amount of information. I mean, he shared so much with this that I had to end up breaking it down into three episodes because there's just so much. The crazy thing is we could have just kept going on and on and on. He could have kept dropping more gridiron knowledge nuggets on us. So I'm thinking that we're going to have to bring him on the Football History Do podcast at a later date. Talk about some of these other things. We got to talk about things that I didn't even get to. The transformation of free agency, uh, what it's like to work a contract, his business consulting and helping teams hire coaches and all sorts of other things. So let's just say we're going to have to bring him back a little bit. Uh, and while we're at it, I'm going to go ahead and peel back the curtain because, you know, when I was sitting there, his information was so interesting, I couldn't stop. I had to go tinkle like halfway through that whole interview. But nonetheless, we continued on, we pushed through, we grit our teeth, and we're good to go. And as I've stated before, if you want to learn more about Chris and what he does and all of his information, you can go to the dedicated page on my website, which is thefootballhistorydude.com slash Chris Landry. Again, thefootballhistorydude.com slash Chris Landry. And if you are, uh, you know, someone that enjoys the show, you think you got some football geeks out there such as yourself, I give you one mission. Find at least one other football geek that has not heard of the Football History Dude podcast. Give them this episode. Give them the first episode of the Chris Landry experience and say, here, you got to listen to this. And if they like it, they'll keep coming back for more. If not, then I guess they have not been woke to what the NFL has been doing for the past 100 years. And next week, we're going to keep talking about the 100 years of the NFL. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes... Where we're going, we don't need roads.